Hey, listen, this morning, uh, we are going to start a new four-part series called Making Change. And the subject that we're going to be talking about for the next four weeks has become increasingly important to me, really beginning about 10 years ago. I mean, the, all of the pieces that we'll talk about had some importance, but I only began to put the whole picture uh, together uh, over the last several years, which is really kind of odd to me. Uh, but maybe you've done the same thing. So for those who have not put the pieces together yet, this series, Making Change, is all about finances. So first of all, do you see how clever that title is? <laughs> I know, man, if an extra hour doesn't help, then nothing's going to help. You know what I'm saying? That joke. So uh, uh, listen, if you're, <laughs> this is one of your first times here, my name is Mike. I'm the lead pastor here at MCC. And I'm glad you're here, and I would love to meet you. So if you'd just come on up right now, uh, we'll just stand up here. No, I'm just teasing. Uh, and if I gave anyone heart palpitations, I apologize. But after the service, uh, man, I would love to have you come up. Uh, and Rich McKinley, our executive pastor, will be up here. We'd love to meet you. And if you're watching online, thanks for joining us there. I do hope that what we talk about here helps you in your walk with Jesus as well. Although some may have turned this off the moment I said money. And the upside is no one would ever see you do it because we can't see you where you are. But if, for those who are still with us, I want to ask you this question because we're talking about money. Here's the question. Why do you think we talk about money? Why, would, why does the church talk about, and MCC specifically, why do we talk about money? Is it because that's really all the church wants anyway? You've probably heard that, right? All the church wants is your money. Uh, uh, that's one of the first things Sandy's grandpa said to me when I met him and he found out I was going to be a preacher. Uh, all preachers want is your money. And uh, that was a really warm, fuzzy moment. Uh, <clears throat> and let me tell you, it didn't get any better after that. <laughs> Perhaps you think churches talk about money because the preacher wants paid. And to be sure, the, the preacher does want paid, but that's not why we talk about money. What if we talk about money because Jesus did? As a matter of fact, I'm about, I'm going to throw you some numbers here. Uh, he talked about money more than anything else he talks about in the New Testament. Do you know that there are uh, 79 verses on baptism and 225 verses on prayer and 300 on faith and 700 verses on love? But there are over 2,350 verses on money, finances, and material possessions. As a matter of fact, half of the uh, parables that are recorded for us focus on our attitude toward possessions. And maybe that's why this past February, USA Today uh, they reported that 87%, and if you are taking notes, please write this down. This is a huge number. 87% of Americans concur. Nothing makes them happier. Nothing makes us feel more confident than feeling like our finances are in order. So think about this statement. Would you agree with that? Does, does that? does it make you happy and confident to know that your finances are in order? Would you say that's a true statement? Knowing that makes you feel happy and confident. So here's the next question. Uh, do you think this is where most people live their lives? Do you think that they've got their finances in order? Is it, so, and, well, okay, but don't answer this next one out loud, okay? Is this where you live your life? Don't answer that out loud. But do you feel like your finances are in order? That's why I love talking about this because... Quite frankly, people need help in this area of their lives. Now, we don't want to talk about it with anybody, uh, and we wish nobody would talk to us about it sometimes, but the reality is God does talk about it. 
And if we can be the impetus here at MCC that helps you get your finances in order so that you can feel more confident, you can be happier in life, man, I'm all about it. So listen, for many of us, what God could do in our hearts over the next four weeks through this series, and then in January, by the way, the Financial Peace University is going to roll back around. And if you've never taken that or if you want to take it again, it is available. It can propel you in a direction that will literally change the trajectory of your life and and can change the trajectory for the generations that follow you in your family, the kiddos that were just up here on the platform. It can totally change the way they look at money and wealth and possessions and stuff because of what God does. I believe God's word, as it does in all areas of our lives, has, but especially in this one, has the potential to bring about that kind of change. But I also know, I also know that there are some people who are in this room, and quite frankly, their response is, nope, <laughs> don't want to hear about it. Nope, you can stop talking, I'm not listening. La, 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 right? I don't want to know about this stuff. Can I encourage you, please, please, please resist the temptation and make a commitment to be here all four weeks so that you can see what, could, what is possible that God can do in your heart about this topic, this area of your life. And if you've been here for a while, you have heard more than one of us say, and maybe in different ways, Jesus is not out to get your money. He just wants to make sure your money doesn't get you. Okay, listen, it's the biggest battle for our hearts with God. It's God's chief competitor to be number one in your life is your money, your possessions, your stuff. And I will tell you this, make this promise of you right now, no one is going to ask you to tell anything to anyone. We're not going to share stupid money stories, although we could because we all have one, right? Does everybody have a stupid money story, something stupid that you did with money? You ever received the note from the prince who's offering a share of a huge investment opportunity? There's this fortune he can't get out of his country without your help. And if you'll just send him your routing number to your account, I mean, he'll drop it there for safekeeping. Or if, or if not, a small advancement payment to help cover the expense of transferring the money. Have you seen that? Have you heard of that? Who would be so stupid that they would fall for that? I was 25 years old. I gave a guy $20. It was all I had for perspective. I was bringing home about $13,000 a year. $20 was a lot of money to us. Sandy was not happy. I felt like the guy who sold the cow for the magic bean, only the, you know, the, the bean died. Uh, <laughs> as of April of this year, that scam is still raking in over $700,000 a year. Stupid money decisions. And maybe you've never made that one, but my guess is you have made some dumb money decisions, and we want to be wise. So in January, you can be part of Financial Peace University. We'll be teaching that here. Huge help to Sandy and I. I love the principles and how it helps you understand that the Bible teaches a different way to think about money than our culture does. So here's what we're going to talk about for the next four weeks. We're going to talk about less is more, stress is bad, giving is good, and tomorrow matters. Okay, these will be the next four weeks. Less is more, stress is bad, giving is good, and tomorrow matters. Today we're talking about less is more. And I wonder if you're like me and you've grown up thinking, not that less is more, I grew up thinking that more is more, right? And more is better. Sandy has learned 
uh, from sending me to the store to get something. I don't know if anyone else struggles with this or not. Why would you only get one? Am I right? I mean, if we need one, we'll probably need two or three, right? And so, uh, so I just, uh, in the culture in which we live, it doesn't teach us that less is more. As a matter of fact, it gets us to ask a different question. Why don't I have more? Right? That's the question our culture wants us to ask. So here's the passage for us to remember, what we're going to jump out of today. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 6 says, Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Better one handful peacefully than two handfuls, and I am just chasing after the wind to be able to keep up. This is actually written by Solomon in, uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes. He was the third king of Israel, the wisest man. The Bible tells us the wisest man to ever live. And the, this book of Ecclesiastes is an, his analysis of life experiences and its meaning and where you can find satisfaction in life. That's what the whole book is about. It's actually still read every year by Jews at the annual festival of tabernacles, which is a festival of harvest. And that makes sense because in Ecclesiastes 2, uh, Solomon writes, the best thing that we can do is to enjoy eating and drinking and working. I believe these are God's gifts to us. So in chapter 4, he talks about um, our work and the two extremes. He talks about the lazy person who sees the futility of working hard and uh, for success, and so they stop altogether and end up hurting themselves and those who depend on them. And he talks about on the other end of the spectrum, the workaholic who is driven by this constant desire to stay ahead. And Solomon writes, the answer is to work hard, but with moderation. And then in verse 6, he says, take time to enjoy the other gifts that God has given you. Better one handful with tranquility. Take the time to enjoy them. It's better is less with peace than just having to chase the wind for to get two handfuls. The question is, what are these gifts that, that we're to enjoy? So if you take a look on your notes, what I want you to do is to look at that question and to think about your life and to ask yourself, in my life, what is it that really matters? Because it's a huge question. What's really important to me? What really matters to me? If you had to prioritize who or what is most important to you, who or what would those two or three be? And if it helps, how about this? When you're done on earth, what, what, what two or three people or two or three things do you want people to know that you treasured the most? These were the most important things to you. What is it in life that really matters to you? And if we were to poll this room, I am going to bet that there would be people who would say, you know, the, right at the top of the list, and I believe you live this way, right at the top of the list is my relationship with God. I want people to know when I'm, done, when I'm all done here, the most important person in my whole life is Jesus and following him, and I believe you. Others of us uh, would maybe add to the list and say our marriage, you know, my spouse. I, if, if they talk about nothing else, if they say I love Jesus and I love Sandy, I will be happy. But in my family, you better also add my children, and my grandkids, because those are super, they are super important to me, way more important than anything else in my life is my relationship with Jesus and my relationship with Sandy and my kids and my grandkids. Somebody might add friends. Uh, you might have some other things that you would add to your list. But let me tell you what no one is thinking. Correct me if I'm wrong. But when no one is thinking, when people remember my life, what I really want them to think about is how much money I left in my bank account. Anybody? Am I wrong? 
the car I drove. That's the thing I want people thinking about, the car I drove. My clothes, that guy was a clothing horse. I mean, that dude, did you see what he wore? Oh, man, the countertops in my kitchen. I can't tell you how long I waited to get those countertops in my kitchen. I hope people talk about those for years to come. The number of Facebook or Instagram followers that I had, nobody, nobody's thinking about that. But when you think about what matters, how much of our lives is spent pursuing the things that don't even make our list. By the way, again, that's what Solomon's writing about in Ecclesiastes. <laughs> but what I think we tend to think is that we need more because more is better. Even though we already know that that's not true. But that's why we're going to be reminded today that less is more. And so, because less is more, and when we talk about your faith and the next step you take, this may, for some of us in the room, this is going to be your next step, I'm going to learn to cut back. So because less is more, I'm going to learn to cut back. When I was growing up, I had a closet uh, that was four feet wide. And I had a twin brother, and we shared it. And, and, and there was plenty of room left over. Anybody else, right? My mom dad had a closet. It was eight feet wide. And they shared it. Fast forward to today, and what do you see? Not one little closet, but Sandy and I have a walk-in closet, right? I don't know if you do or not. Sandy and I have a walk-in closet. Some people have walk-around closets. You walk in and you walk around in your closet. Other people have multi-level closets. You walk in and there are shirts or pants or something hanging here, and then right above it are some more shirts and pants. And right above that is the shelf that holds your other stuff in your you know, closet, and you walk into your closet, your multi-level closet, when you're getting ready for work or whatever, and you say, I don't have anything to wear, right? Some of us have so much stuff in our closet, it doesn't all fit in our big walk-in or walk-around closet, and so we've, we've shared it with another closet in the house where no one's in that room, right? Or, or uh, we have so much that sometimes we, we put it in the garage. Now, what is supposed to be in our garage? All right, it's made for automobiles. The, the garage is made for automobiles to, to not have snow and ice on them in the winter in Ohio. But we have so much stuff in our garage that we can't park our car in there. And I know I just made someone mad. I get it. Some of us have so much stuff in all of our closets and in our garage that we put some of it up in the attic. And there are some of us, and this is, <laughs> truly this is hard for people around the world to believe happens in America. But there's some people who have so much stuff in their closets and so much stuff in their garage and so much stuff in their attic that they need someplace else for their stuff. And so they rent a storage unit for your stuff. You pay someone else, somewhere else, to put your stuff that you don't use and don't see and in some cases may even forget it's even there. You're paying someone to store your stuff that... That's why we have to remember, less is more. <laughs> because it's better to have one handful and have peace than to have two handfuls and, and be paying some guy to store it in a closet somewhere. As Jesus told this story. Uh, he said, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus said, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between the two of you? And then he said to him, Watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed because life does not consist in an abundance of our 
possessions. Watch out. Be on guard. Just so you know, those are military terms. Jesus is pulling in military commands to say that life, there's more to life than things. Why would Jesus say be on your guard? Because these things sneak. So it's not like we go out looking for this. It sneaks up on us when we're not paying attention. You're walking through the parking lot on your way in this morning. And you walk past a car and you think to yourself, maybe say it out loud, but at least you think to yourself, boy, I wish I had a car like that. Right? Or I wish my kids were that well behaved. You see a car pull up to the door number one. And you say, boy, I wish my husband would let me out at the door. Or when he does, I wish he'd come to a complete stop. Right? I mean, I. <laughs> we're inside watching. We know. Right? Well, I wish we could afford those nice clothes. And Jesus says, your life does not consist in the abundance of things. And the, here's, we know that here. We just have trouble living it here. The most meaningful things at the end of your life will never be things. The most meaningful stuff at the end of your life will never be stuff, and yet we keep accumulating. And that's why our first response is to make a conscious effort to cut back on getting more. Because what I want in my life, when, we, when it was Christmas time, we used to ask mom, what do you want us to get you for Christmas? And do you know what my mom said? Because your mom probably said the same thing. What did she say? Nothing. All I want is my family to visit, to be close by. I want to spend time with them. I get it. I didn't when I was a kid. I get it now. What I want is less stuff and more time with my family. What I want is less things and more experiences. So first, I'm going to cut back. And second, and maybe this is your next step of faith, maybe uh, this could be for you, I'm going to clear out. I'm going to cut back, so I'm going to stop the influx, and then I'm going to start to clear out. And to really be the husband that I want to be to Sandy, to really be, to be the dad I want to be to my kids, to be the grandpa I want to be to my grandkids, to be the pastor that will honor God, I need to declutter because it declutters my heart and it declutters my mind and it frees me to become all that I'm supposed to be. And it will free you to become all that you are supposed to be. You know why this is so difficult for people? And you may even be thinking to yourself right now, I just don't know how I could do this. Here's our story. For some of us, we didn't grow up with much. And so we're not sure, right? We don't want to waste things, and we don't know when we might need that thing again. And so we put it somewhere so that on the off chance that we need it again, it's there. We don't want to waste it. I get that. Some of you are like me. You're sentimental. Well, if you ask Sandy, holy cow. Listen, I have things in our house. I can tell you exactly what was going on in our lives when they were given to us. I can tell you exactly who it belonged to, and, and, and I'll never use it, right? I'm never going to use it, but I've got it sitting around. And it's not just that I've got one thing sitting around. I've got lots of things sitting around reminding me. So I acknowledge all of that, but at the same time, my life does not consist in the abundance of stuff. Your life does not consist in the abundance of stuff. It's better if you have one handful and you have peace than to be chasing after life because you have so much. One of the reasons I believe we can walk into our closets and have so many clothes and say there is nothing to wear is because we're overwhelmed with choices. We literally have too many things in our closet. You ever been to the Cheesecake Factory? 
man, other than the price, I love the Cheesecake Factory. Uh, except I have a hard time ordering there. Anybody else have a hard time ordering there? Do you know why you have a hard time ordering there? Their menu is 5,940 words long. I looked it up. I wanted to know. <laughs> there are over 85 different chicken dishes at the Cheesecake Factory. There's just too many options. Listen, does anybody, if I say the name Marie Kondo, do we know who she is? In her international bestseller, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, she talks about belongings as if they're beings in our lives. And they, listen, they want to help us have a good, comfortable life. And just like beings in our lives, our things don't want to be neglected and forgotten in a dark drawer somewhere that you never open. And so if they don't serve you, she says you would be much happier to, to have them serve someone else. They would be much happier to serve someone else because clutter creates stress and distraction. So Kondo says if there's something you're having a hard time giving away, th thank it for serving a purpose in your life. Someone gave you a gift, but you don't use it anymore. And you haven't used it in a year. Five years. Tell me when I get there. Ten years. Some things that you have, 30 years they've been in your possession and you no longer use them. And you say, I love this because my best friend gave this to me and it has blessed my life. But truly you've served your purpose in mine and now I'm setting you free to bless someone else. So I will make a confession. I am a book hoarder. I love books. Bookstores are dangerous places. And so you know what I did this past week? I went through my office. And right now I have a huge set of books that I'm ready to bless somebody with or several somebodies with that would like that would that would be helpful to. And others of them are just going to help me start my fire pit this winter. Uh, but I will do the same thing next month with movies and books at home. When I was looking over my notes this morning, I walked over to my bookshelf. And I said, <laughs> I was trying to sound holier, you know, it didn't come out right. I couldn't believe what I saw on the shelves. I thought, I, d I have that? Why do I have that? You know, and maybe you would think the same thing. It sounds crazy, but give it a try. Cut back and clear away. Mr. Money Mustache is a little more succinct. He says this is on your notes. If you don't use it, lose it. Walk through your closet. If you haven't worn it in a year, bless somebody else with it. I went through my closet and my drawers last month. I was able to take a bunch of stuff to threads. Every time you get something, give something away. If you get a shirt, give a shirt away. If you get pants, give pants away. If you get a new pair of shoes, give a pair of shoes away. If you just got new underwear, throw them uh, old ones out. <laughs> Don't do that with underwear. Everything else, though, when you get one, give one. You know, we did this when the kids to with the kids' toys when they were little. If they would get new toys, we'd take the other toys and give them to someone else. Here's what I have found. It's easier for me to give my kids' toys away than it is for me to give my toys away, right? But when you do that, you recognize, man, life really is better with just one handful, and it's peaceful in our house than two, and we keep chasing after what we have to chase after to keep those. Here's the last one, and maybe this is for you, your next step in your faith. I'm going to pay off. And I'm only going to say a little bit about this today because we're going to hit this a little bit harder next week. But let me ask you this. How many, would you, how many would say that financial stress is no fun whatsoever? 
right? Financial stress, not fun. I've never heard, listen, I've had people in my office 35 years, I've never had anyone say, you know, I got to tell you, my debt makes me feel so much peace. I'm so comfortable with it. I feel so close to God every time I look at how much I'm paying in interest. I love that. It should be a Bible verse. Never heard anyone say anything like, my debt brings me joy. I've never heard anyone say that. What I have heard, I've had people, couples in my office, I worry about money all the time. I, I, I lose sleep at night sometimes. I bet we fight at least once every week about a bill or about something related to money. I'd give anything to be able to go back and not end up in the place that I am right now. And maybe you've never said that, but if that just resonated with you a little bit, listen, death's a subtle but deadly snare. And we're hitting it hard this month because we're about to hit a season where we spend it like we've got it, whether we've got it or not. And I don't want you to worry, but I also want you to do something about this. Because if you keep living your life based on debt, you're going to spend a lot of nights awake, at least part of the time. That's why we're paying off. And we're going to talk uh, very specifically next week about the heart behind this. Because it's not just about paying off your debt, but it's about being motivated in a way that honors God as you pay it off. Because what's fun is being debt-free. And what you might be thinking, someone's got to be thinking, I'll never get there. I thought that too. And then FPU asked me some questions that I'd never thought of before, made me think differently, and now we're on this path. We're not at the end of the path yet, but we're on this path that I would never have thought was possible before in my life. It just never dawned on me. Dave Ramsey said this, it's on your notes. Let's face it, getting into debt is simple. It's as easy as riding this down elevator at the mall. However, getting out of debt is like trying to walk back up the escalator that's coming down with people on it. It can be done, but it takes some real effort to which Solomon would say, better is one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and a chasing after the wind. I'd say it this way. It's better to have a, a, a car that's paid off than to have a brand new one where you stress about the payments. It's better to live in a smaller house than fighting over the payments of a really big house. It's better to have financial margin in your life so that you actually can. When, you, when someone says, man, we could really use help with this, and you really want to help them, you really can help them. As opposed to living month to month, check to check, wondering what would happen if that check didn't come at the end of the month. So your next step, maybe for you it's about cutting back, or maybe for you it's about clearing out, or maybe for you it's about beginning the process of paying off, because less is more. At the bottom of your notes, Harry Lloyd said this. He said, I thank God that I live in a country where dreams can come true, where failure sometimes is the first step to success, right? And where success is only another form of failure if we forget what our priorities should be. This past Thursday, Donnie came over to make a statement about who's going to be the priority in his life. Check out the screens. I'm about to baptize you. Take up your confession of faith, so I'm going to ask you to repeat this confession. It's the confession that Peter made in Matthew 15, 16, uh, when Jesus said, Who do you say that I am? So I'm going to ask you to repeat this. It's Matthew 15, 16. I believe, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
We we usually don't laugh like that in the baptistry afterwards. Um, And I don't know if you noticed, I struggled bringing him up. Uh, uh, And to be fair, he told me earlier this week, and you heard us talking about it, he said, you better eat your Wheaties because I'm a big boy. And and I will tell you, he is. (laughs) And he has a huge heart. And it belongs to Jesus. And if you've never made that decision, that right there is your first decision. That's the decision you need to make first as you move through this so that you do it in a way that honors who Jesus is in your life. Donnie wanted to make sure that Jesus knew he was the number one priority. And if you've given your life to Jesus, each week we remember who our priority is supposed to be. Because look at the bottom of this statement one more time. Remember all of the statement. We also live in a place where success is only another form of failure. If we forget what our priorities should be. Listen, we can look like all kinds of success to the world around us. And have our priorities way out of whack. We, we do not have first people first. We've lost our first priority. And so I said this at the beginning. Jesus is not out to get your money. He just wants to make sure your money doesn't get you. And again, I tell you that because your money, your stuff, your possessions is the biggest competition that Jesus has for your heart. It's why we'll talk about anything else. We'll we'll listen to whatever Jesus says about anything else. But don't talk about this. There's a fight going on for your heart. So each week we stop to remember, not just that Jesus died for us, but the cost. And so in a moment we're going to hold a piece of bread and we're going to hold a cup of juice. And that bread reminds us of the body that was broken for us on the cross. Jesus' body broken. The, The juice reminds us of his blood that was shed. So we remember. The point is we remember the priority that God has in our lives And pushes us forward in all other areas of our life. Because he sits on top. He sits on the throne of our lives. He's in charge. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, we are grateful for this moment when we get to come before you. And we get to remember. We get to be reminded. Super simple act that your son instituted with bread and wine. That we continue today reminder of your son's body and blood. Jesus, thank you for dying on our behalf on the cross. And Holy Spirit, thank you for spurring our memories on. Even as we hold these emblems, they just remind us of what happened. But our prayers, they remind us not just now, although right now it can be a recalibration in case we've gotten off track. Here's where we recalibrate and we start over again. And we say this week, Jesus is Lord of my life. All of my life. There are no areas of my life that are out of bounds that he cannot touch, 
that he does not have final say, that he does not have the top priority. There's nothing in my life that doesn't belong to him. And we say that every time we receive these emblems. And so Jesus, right now as we remember, we pray that you will be honored and you will be on the throne of our lives right where you belong and that our lives will look to those who know us like yours. And so we pray this, Jesus, in your powerful name.